Dearest, said Aslan very gently, you and your brother will never come back to Narnia. Oh, Aslan, said Edmund and Lucy, both together in despairing voices. You are too old, children, said Aslan, and you must begin to come close to your own world now. It isn't Narnia, you know, sobbed Lucy. It's you. We shan't meet you there, and how can we live never meeting you? But you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. Are, are you there too, sir, said Edmund? I am, but there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason why you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. And thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fifth book in this series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we go on tangents into other stories we enjoy, we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today, we are discussing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Chapter 16, The Very End of the World. <laughs> I'm not to be confused with almost at the end of the world or the very beginning of the, the end. end of the world or nearly the end of the world this time. It's the very end. It's the very end. Chase and listeners, we finally made it through this book. It took way longer. This book included the, you know, breaks for paternity. It took breaks for vacation. And it took breaks because we were just tired of this book. But we made it. We're yeah. done. Yeah, and, uh, this this one dragged like a boat coming up onto some <laughs> sand. <laughs> this one dragged like a boat through lilies, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I do, I do. Chase, on that note, would love to give you a summary if you'll hear it. I, I'll hear it if you have to. I, you know, well, you wrote it, so, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll say it. This was a good chunk of my evening last night at, like, 1 a.m. Yeah, this is a, this is a no-joke summary you gave me here. But, you know, uh, our listeners will be enthralled at every word, I'm sure. But it turns out, Chase, that Reepa Cheepa dove into the sea because he saw the Sea King shaking his spear. He saw it as a challenge. Good old Reepa Cheep. Back to, back to the good old Reepa Cheep we know and love. But that didn't matter because he got distracted by the fresh water and he got pulled out of his, his trance. From there, they, uh, they saw no more of the creatures under the water, except for that one time that Lucy saw one. But don't worry about that because it doesn't really matter. They sailed east for many more days and every day and hour, the light became more brilliant. No one ate or slept, nor did they want to. And they drew up buckets of fresh seawater to drink. That sounds healthy. Uh, as if it were rich wine. Again, we have to remind you, these are teenagers. The further they sailed, the less they spoke. But then they finally saw uh, Caspian asked Drinian what he saw ahead. It was a whiteness all the way across the horizon. They didn't think it was ice, but still worried about crashing into it. As they approached it, they realized they were in a narrow current moving towards them. They lowered a boat to investigate what the white stuff was and discovered that they were lilies like you'd find on a pond or a pool. They entered back into the current and continued into what they began to call the Silver Sea. Uh, because, you know, that's the name they chose, uh, there's, even though it's white. Uh, there seemed to be there? no end to what's up. Can you surf on the silver sea? Uh, only if you have a silver surfer, but uh, there seemed to be no end to the lilies and the sweet, fresh smell of flowers filled the air. 
The day finally came that they could sail the Dawn Treader no further because the water wasn't deep enough. So they lowered back down the boat and Caspian gathered the crew to make a speech. He said they had completed their task and instructed Drinian to take the ship back to Narnia and to tell his regent, the dwarf Trumpkin, to give all the men of the of the crew that he had what he had promised them. And he said he was going with Reepicheep to the end of the world. Edmund and Reepicheep both told Caspian he couldn't abandon his posts like this, to which Caspian argued that none of them could tell him what he can't do, uh, you know, because he's the king and he's now a moody teenager all of a sudden. They all argued back and forth about it more until Caspian stormed off to his cabin and slammed the door. And when they went to him, he said they didn't need to lecture him because Aslan had already done so by bringing the golden lion's head to life on his wall. Uh, and, you know, Aslan, you know, gave him a good talking to. He said Aslan commanded that Reaper Chief Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace were to go to the end of the world, and Caspian was to stay and go back to Nardia. Lucy reminded him that he'd get to go back to Ramandu's island and, uh, you know, his star daughter, and that cheered him up a little bit because, you know, he is, after all, a teenager with hormones. Uh, that afternoon, the kids and Reaper Chief said their goodbyes and shed their tears. They got into the boat and were carried east by the current with no need to row. The next day, they came to a wonder. A great wave stood before them like a wall of water that shone with rainbow colors as the sun rose through it. As the current carried them quickly towards it, they could see to the other side a range of mountains that rose so high that they couldn't see the sky above them, and forests and waterfalls. And as a breeze broke over uh, the top of the wall, they heard sounds and smelt smells that were so good it could break your heart. They knew that they were seeing beyond the end of the world into Aslan's country. Their boat ran aground in the shallow water, and Reepicheep said that he must go alone from there. And no one argued. He threw his sword since he didn't need it anymore and bid them goodbye in a mix of sadness and excitement. He got into his little uh, coakle, sure, little boat, uh, and took his paddle, and the current caught it and took him quickly up the wave side and over the top. They never knew what came of him, but were sure he made it safely to Aslan country. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence uh, for you know just seeing a person disappear over a wave. Uh, the children got out of the boat and waded southward with the wall on one side. They came to a beach with sand and then short grass, and they looked on uh, on it as uh, on it was as if the sky came down to meet the ground uh, or the grass. In between them and the sky, there stood a lamb, and the lamb invited them to come have breakfast. And they noticed a fire lit with uh, fish roasting on it, and all of their biblical allegories began to become true. They sat down and ate, and it was the most delicious food they'd ever tasted other than all those other meals that were the delicious meals they've ever tasted. Lucy asked the lamb, is this the way to Aslan's country? Not for you, he said. For you, the door to Aslan's country is from your own world. Surprise, Edmund asked. What? There's a way into Aslan's country from our own world too? This is shocking since this is a book of magic. The lamb replied, there's a way into my country from all the worlds. And as he spoke, the snowy white turned into gold as he transformed into Aslan himself. Man, this is getting crazy. Lucy asked if he, at uh, last, if he could tell them how he could get uh, into his country from their world. And he said he will be telling them all the time, but he won't say how long or short the way will be. He said he would open a door in the sky now to send them back to their own land. And then Lucy asked when they'd returned to Narnia. And he said, never see us, suckers. Uh, he said that Lucy and Edmund would never be returning because they're too old. Man, sucks getting old. Lucy sobbed and said they won't meet him there, though. Uh, but Aslan said, yeah, they will, because he's there, too. He just goes by a different name. But don't worry, you're going to have to learn that lamb on your own. That's a different story. Lucy asked Eustace if Eustace would be coming back. And he said, yeah, we've got two more books to write. He's got to be, someone's got to be the main character. Uh, but he actually said, no, you don't need to know that because that's a different story. Uh, Silver Chair coming next week. 
Uh, and then with a kiss on the forehead, they were sent back to Aunt Alberta's home at Cambridge. And just so you know, Caspian and his men made it back to Narnia, okay? The three lords woke from their sleep. Caspian married Ramandu's daughter, and Eustace was a better person now. And if you're thinking that I sped through that summary, so did C.S. Lewis. The end. What a book. What, what a book, that? Chase. <laughs> it's there. We got it. We, we, we did it. We at did least it. this chapter was... Nominally better than the last five chapters. Oh, it's it's hands down better because things happen. This there are yeah. there are events that take place in this chapter. Are they still, still weird? Still could have done without the first three or four pages, but one hundred percent because the first second half of this chapter, great. Right, like once we get to them sailing through the through the lilies, just like the the kids in Reefachie, then it's fine. Everything else, you're just like, uh, it's it's just not as fun. Because we start with a recap of what had just happened. And C.S. Lewis has to let us know, hey, Reepachit didn't just dive in because he wanted to dive in. He was actually trying to fight the Sea King. The uh, thing that you assumed happened did in it, fact happen. It happened. Uh, you know, did we need it to be explained? No. But uh, he. it says, you know, he was uh, about to fight him underwater <laughs> like a you know how uh, great swimmers mice are yeah you know how they can also hold their breath underwater like a mermaid and not float to the top do mice not have blowholes <laughs> and uh everyone's got a blowhole if you try hard enough chase uh <laughs> 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 we won't explore that go on <laughs> but <laughs> They, uh, <laughs> um, but Reepachi is distracted just like all of our, re our listeners are right now by the fact that fresh water, it tastes sweet and it's not salty. And so he, uh, he doesn't pay attention to the sea king anymore. Uh, and it says, okay, cool. No, like they, they warned him, Hey, don't talk about what you just saw. And, uh, no one ever saw any of the mermaids again, except for Lucy, who still saw one that looked just like her as a shepherdess uh, of the sea people. And they stared into each other's eyes from the distance, and it's like they became best friends. And if they ever met each other, they would run towards each other with arms open. And weird side comment that yeah, sh okay, like yeah, again, maybe th these are things that we we're saying in this podcast that you're like, oh, that's weird. Why would you say that? It's because C.S. Lewis wrote it. Like what, yeah, like verbatim, what book. Chase just said is in the book. And it's weird. It doesn't come back up. It's not important and t like takes away from the actual story that's being told. Right. The sea people mean nothing and will not come up again in Silver Chair or in the last battle. And it's it's part of a larger picture of like C.S. Lewis keeps saying like and they sailed for days and days more. Days, the Chase. The gets brighter and brighter, <clears throat> even though it had already gotten super bright. Remember? Like, this stuff that, like, sh sure, like, if this is what he's imagining, great. Like, but we don't need it for the story that's being told. He could just say, they continued to sail as it got brighter and brighter until they arrived at what appeared to be just a field of white on the horizon. Like he didn't need five pages to say that. He didn't need five chapters to say it, Chase. Yeah. Like they've literally like 
according to his own math and logic, they've been sailing through the end of the world for like three weeks. Which at that point, it's not the end. It's just... At what point are you near the end of the world? I'd say within a day. Like, I mean, with, with C.S. Lewis logic, we are both near the end of the world right now. I mean, is this like how like Jesus says, like, you know, be prepared because the end could come at any time? Be prepared. Except Jesus is not Nazi Hitler lion. He's he's lamb lion. He's uncle from Hamlet lion. Duh. Duh. But uh, so all those mermaids that, you know, we spent a few pages talking about. Don't worry about them. They won't come up again. So just yeah. forget about them because C.S. Lewis seems to. Uh, like all the chapters in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe where we're just walking through the woods and describing what we see. It's uh, yeah. not helpful. Not helpful. But you know it's also not helpful? More discussion about how they're sailing into the brightness uh, for days and days. And they, they still don't need to eat or drink uh, other than the water from the boat. And they don't need to sleep because, you know, apparently they're they're magically, you know, healed of all you know, rest or like strength issues. Uh, But as we're going to find out later in this chapter, they are actually very hungry. They just don't realize it, which makes it feel like this water isn't helping them. No, but don't don't worry about that. Kids, because that's not our story. Uh, Our story picks up as uh, Caspian asks Drinian to uh, look into the distance. And what does he see? And he sees whiteness all along the horizon from north to south. And he says, we finally reached Utah. This is good. Yeah. We are glad to be here. Uh, no, he says, we've... What we is see- whiteness, Kel? How, how do we track cultural lines of various people groups from across different countries mm. and nation states? Mm. Very true. In this case, we're glad because we don't actually have to ponder that question because they just see white on the water. They're like, is this foam? Is this ice? Uh, we don't know what it is, but we're nervous to run into it. So we're going to go slow, then turn the boat to see if we can go alongside it. Uh, and they realized by turning the boat that uh, there was actually just a thin current that they had been stuck in. Is uh, that how the, currents work? I guess so. The rest of the ocean was just still, but there was one stream in the middle of the ocean uh, that they're going to make you... Uh... In Finding Nemo, when they get into the uh, just crazy turtle current, yeah, that's what well, I'm there thinking. are there are underwater currents. However, sure. I just don't think they are the exact width of a single boat and just correct. happen to be only and, that boat. And there is no current the rest of the ocean. Like, like the reason there's currents in the ocean is because when one thing moves one direction, equal and opposite force is going to be created somewhere else. And so you've got churn. And so you have channels going both directions at all times. Some would say, but also chase Narnia. 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 Uh, and that's Narnia business. You know what I'm saying? So uh, they decide... Uh, they're, they're, they, they eventually come up and they're traveling through this little stream and they realize, Hey, it's lilies, bloomin' lilies, actually, uh, if we're going to be faithful to the text, uh, 
So are you saying that these used to be goldfish, but then on October 31st, 1995, they all turned into lilies? Um, I, it's a Harry Potter reference. Ah, oh, oh, man, that was a real deep cut. That, wow. that was a movie cut, too. I don't think that was in the book, if I remember. I don't, man. I That was a super deep cut. Because I was like, what the heck happened on October 31st, 1995? That's, spoiler alert, when Lily Evans slash Potter died yeah. and the fish that she gave Slughorn turned into a lily. Man, that was, that was super deep. And also, if this is, a, if this is the, the crossover here, that's dark because that's a lot of dead goldfish. This, is, this used to be a giant koi pond. Man. Yeah, I'm going to just assume instead that Bloom and Lilies uh, is the just the next item uh, available at Outback Steakhouse uh, because that's a lot less savage uh, and a lot less, you know, dark. But alas, they're sailing through lilies, uh, just white lilies everywhere, and they're beautiful. And they decide to call it Silver Sea as opposed to Lily Lake because though the, the lilies are white and not silver, Silver Sea seemed to be what stuck with the crew. And that's what they put on the map. And you have to have alliteration to name something? Correct. Uh, Why not Lily Sea? Or Sea of Lilies. Better. You know, uh, whatever. But also, uh, why is this part important? Who cares, right? Like, Just a feature. Does it matter? Like... Does it matter what they named it? Because again, not going to come up again. Uh, but they, you know, are making their way through the lilies. They make it seem like they're, it sounds like they're like, you know, if they give the the imagery that they're sailing through like the Arctic where it's like, you know, patches of ice that your boat can kind of just plow through. Um, and they make their way through and they're, you know, getting exhausted, but also, you know, they're excited and they don't know what to do. Uh, and they finally realize that the boat has run its course. They can no longer sail any further east because the ground has finally uh, become too shallow uh, to, for them to keep moving forward uh, on the giant uh, Dawn Treader. Yeah, it uh, just, for whatever reason, the entire ocean just dries up at the yeah, end. Yeah, it went from like three fathoms to like three feet in a matter of no time. Well, in a matter of days and days and days of sailing into the light, Kel. See, this is one of the problems is like, if you just, you don't give, like, you just say days pass. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that in a matter of sentences when nothing changes. Like, there is no difference between anything. It's hard for me to just go, oh, I guess we're just done now. Yeah. But you know who else is done? Caspian. Man. The king. Caspian tells all of his friends, hey, I've got an important announcement. I need you to meet me on the poop. Which truthfully is the first poop joke we've made in a really long time. And it shows, I think. Uh, but Caspian. really been going downhill. It's been going down the toilet, you know, you could say. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's it's just... It's just not great, you know, but he says, friends, I've gathered you here for a reason. You may be curious. Uh, it's not just because we're all on the same boat and eventually you're going to have to listen to me. 
Uh, it's because we've finally reached our destination. We've completed our journey. And uh, yeah, time for y'all to all turn around. I'm going to go on ahead because even though I'm the king, I've decided to shirk my responsibilities uh, and sail onward uh, into Aslan's country. Uh, so uh, go and tell Trumpkin uh, that, you know, he can go choose the next king of Narnia. And they're like, whoa, whoa, hold on. What? Because though he doesn't say I'm going to shirk my responsibilities, he implies it, Chase. Yeah. Also, why not just appoint Trumpkin the next king of Narnia? <laughs> Chase, I think we all know the reason there. Yeah, it's uh, the Sea of White. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Just getting to his head, you know? It's, uh, uh, it's hey, you know, uh, it's... It's just one of those things. It's it's a tough look. It's not. It's it's all it's all bad. You know, all around. Only a son of Adam can sit on the throne. That was uh that was very like like Thanos esque, <laughs> or like potentially Odin or Thor. But you know, take your pick. Uh, but they're like, "Yo, what are you talking about?" The Casper's like, "Well, I'm going with Reaper Chief to the world's end," and they're like, "No, bro, you can't do that." Like, absolutely not. And Caspian's like, can't? Uh, excuse me. I thought I was the king of Narnia. And he turns into a real, like, uh, like Joffrey-esque character here where he's a teenager who's clearly also a king. And he's throwing a tantrum because he's not getting his way. It's, it's a weird look for our guy. But also, like, I don't know. The context of, like, that we've talked about over a couple of these chapters of like the metaphor of death being the end of the world and the entrance into Aslan's country, like, which is a pretty direct metaphor in the book. I'd agree. It's a weird, it's a weird turn for, uh, for Caspian. Yeah. Like it's, it's not as Aslan's country. Isn't just like, this is the next phase of glory. Like, Saying you want to go to Aslan's country is like saying you want to go to Odin's table in Valhalla. Yeah. It's a, it's a good long-term ambition, questionable short-term ambition. Sure. Right. Uh, but they're like, hey, you're, if anyone else was doing the things you'd be doing, it'd be called deserting. And he's like, yo, I thought you were my subjects. And Edmund's like, I'm not. <laughs> Which is a great, like, again... Since like first half of Chronicle or of uh, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, Edmund's the best. <laughs> he's just great. He is. He's solid. Uh, he's he's real awesome. And like Caspian again is just putting up a fight. And Reepicheep, out of all people, Reepicheep comes in being the like voice of reason. Where it's like, okay, maybe not can't, but you shouldn't because you're the king of Narnia, and as king, you have responsibilities. Not just to be yourself. You can't act as other people do. You have to act as the king. You like, is that fair? Doesn't matter. You have to be a person who serves faithfully. Uh, and you would be doing a disservice to all of Narnia, not a like not to mention Trumpkin by you know acting in such a way. Uh, and you know, like he's like, ah, blah, blah, grumbles. And then Lucy's like, Yeah, but also, don't you remember how hot Ramandu's daughter was? And he's like, man, That's I do the remember only that. Thing that almost makes him change his mind before Aslan. Like he, 
He's like, the, he's only, like, the only logic that he can hear is, well, you remember that hot chick you promised you were going to take out on a date later? Remember, you could marry, amongst other things, a star lady. <laughs> and he's like, that's true. I could do that. Uh, and he's like, he's, he sits there grumpy and frustrated. He's like, fine, have your way. The quest is over. We all return. Get the boat up again. And Reba Chief's like, uh, not everyone, dude. Uh, and then, then he just becomes mean. He goes, silence. I've been lessons, but I will not be baited. Will no one silence that mouse? Yo, watch who you're talking to, Caspian. I mean, how about when he says uh, that when he pledged to uh, to be Lord of the Talking Animals, he didn't think about the animals that wouldn't stop talking man turn like this it's a thing where like he's this comes out of nowhere for him because he's been a fairly good tempered good king and he's like like reaper team's like yo you promise and then he just roasts him it's, uh, and, it's rough and so he storms off and goes down to and he flings the door closed and starts huffing and puffing and everyone comes after them and they're like hey buddy you okay? And he like comes out of his room and he's like, oh, I'm the worst. I'm so sorry. Like all I've done is just, you know, been a total a-hole. Uh, but you don't need to tell me anything because I've already heard it from Aslan. Uh, and they're like, whoa, he was here. And he's like, no, he wasn't here. But the lion in my room that we all knew about, well, he yeah. came to life and it turned into Aslan. You know that uh, and- very prominent Aslan statue that I keep in my room? Oh, I haven't mentioned it. Well, here we here we're telling you now. Uh, but uh, he said that you know Reepicheep, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace are all going to go on to you know Aslan's country. But I have to go back alone to Narnia, the place where I rule as king. Ugh. So alone, you have a ship full of people, <laughs> and literally, you are the ruler of a nation. Yeah, the literal king. <laughs> like it. What? What I don't get with this chapter and like the way this is paced out is like we've talked about how the last two chapters literally nothing happens. Yep. And then in this chapter, we skip over and don't even see an Aslan Caspian interaction for a Caspian character growth moment. Because we don't have time for it because he's trying to do too much in one chapter. Right. Why did we need to see underwater farms when we could have seen Aslan helping Caspian understand that it's not his time to die yet? Right. And especially when like the most consistent character over books four, five, and six is Caspian. Caspian is the beginning king in in chapter or book four. He is the current king in chapter five or book five. And in book six, he's going to be the aged king. Give us Caspian development. Yeah. He can't start perfect and stay there. Like that's not an interesting character. But you also can't just be like, hey, he's perfect. And now he's not. But now he feels bad about it. Where it's like you have give us those things to get to the points of like if he is upset about like not being able to sail build up to that which like i actually really like a moody outburst teenage character 
in a book like this. Like I think it's, I don't know. Our culture doesn't do a good job of acknowledging that guys are hormonal too. And like when a teenage boy has an outburst of rage for literally no reason and it's nonsensical, that's him needing to learn how to manage his emotions. And it's, uh, the answer is not to just go punch a brick wall, but it's, uh, yeah, I like book five in Harry Potter is actually one of my favorites. Yeah. It's It's a lot of dark on a reread because it's like, Oh yeah, that's what it was like being a teenager. I remember that. Um, And especially if you're facing the, like the added pressure of having so much responsibility. Yeah. Totally understand that he'd want to go on the next phase of the adventure and want to like not have to be responsible for like keeping a nation running. Right. But give us, give us the Dumbledore Harry conversation where you get the, you don't do the right thing because you have to, but because you like want to, because that's who you are. Like, yeah. Like that's the conversation you you need to have with you know Aslan and and Caspian of going hey i understand your desire however you are destined for something different for more you are a leader and your responsibility is to your people and you know that and he and like him having to go you're right i like i do have this desire to lead my people well and i know that if i go on i'm leaving them in a bad spot yeah, we we don't get to see any of the actual reasons why he changes his mind or accepts that he's wrong, or really the reasons why he wanted to go in the first place, other than just that he was suddenly angry. Right. It, it it's just too skipped over. Which yep. is but the thing that's not skipped over is once again Lucy saying, "You'll feel better when you get back to Rabandu's island." She yeah, says, "With I would imagine as a wink." Uh, and he cheers up a little bit after that, which is good because again, he's a hormonal teenager in the ways that no one wants. <laughs> uh, yep. So uh, we, they, he's sad and everyone's sad because now everyone has to say goodbye to Lucy and Edmund and also Eustace. Uh, but uh, they, they shed their tears and they, you know, get on their tiny little, uh, their, their little boat and they sail off into the sea, but they don't have to row because they're in that super current apparently. And the, the Dawn Treader uh, just apparently now has to row unless they find a convenient current that is going the other direction. Uh, well, that's not our story. Kim. That's not our but story. We never see them again. Uh, we're we're going to hear about them in a sentence, but you know, don't worry about that. So uh, again, now, now the rat and the three kids are sailing eastward. Sorry, the mouse. Uh, and they're sailing Further and further eastward. That's, uh, how, uh, that's how rats and mice got to the United States from uh, from England. I believe this was how the Black Plague started, yep. uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, and they're sailing again for days and days until eventually uh, they see a giant wall, which turns out to be a wave uh, with beautiful rainbow colors as the sun is refracting through it and uh on like behind it they see mountains and uh they see forests and it's beautiful keller you saying it's a big beautiful wall it's a big beautiful wall that no one's going to be able to go over 
except for this mouse on a boat. And it actually has an escalator that goes up the side of it and back down the others. It's uh, it's pretty convenient for me if you're at. Uh, I love going down escalators. Yeah, but they're they're like wow, it's it's beautiful, but it's they they begin like seeing like they they smell smells that are delicious and they hear sounds that are musical and they're like now it's it's heartbreaking. Why is it so sad? And it's because this is the end of the world. And again, the metaphor is this is death, right? This is the 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 beautiful grieving, which is a sweet moment, right? And this is. This is a part where like, I wish like it's beautiful, but I wish they had stuck more time with it. Right. That Aslan would have been able to talk to Reaper cheap in this moment. Also, there's a weird story break here because like the part where it says it's heartbreaking. C.S. Lewis breaks out of the story for a second and acts like he, the author is talking to Lucy and the author asks Lucy, why, said I, was it so sad? And then Lucy says, sad? No. And then it breaks off and doesn't address it. So is he trying to imply that he is interviewing an older Lucy about this? Yeah, man, that's, this is a weird section because it says Edmund and Eustace would never talk about it afterwards. Lucy could only say, it would break your heart. Why said I, was it so sad? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what he's implying here. Is this like a Titanic situation? Maybe, but he doesn't do this in any other book that I'm aware of. No, and especially knowing the end of book seven, this feels unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. Very unrealistic. If book seven is true, it doesn't have to be because it's a weird turn for the series, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's very strange. C.S. Lewis just chooses to do little bits here and there of uh, like creativity that he doesn't commit to fully. Yeah, it makes it confusing. Yep, but we're going to spend as much time on that as he does, and we're going to keep moving forward uh, yeah. because now it's time for Reaper Chief to sail into Aslan's country. And he says, this is where I go alone. And no one stops him. No one argues. No one says anything. They just let him go, which is sweet. Like, but also kind of surprising that no one tries to say anything. Uh, but he uh, he takes off his uh, his little sword and throws it into the water. because He's like, I won't need this anymore. Uh, and then, you know, creates a hazard for anyone walking on the beach. Uh, wow. He's like, dude, like kids play here, man. Come on. Uh, but... Uh, he, you know, lowers his little needle that you find in the sand when you go to Galveston. It's like, come on, man. Like this is a, uh, this is dangerous. This is a hazard. Um, but he, he lowers his, his even smaller boat that was already in the small boat. Yeah. You know, the boat within the boat within the boat. <laughs> like how many boats are in this? Uh, but he lowers his even smaller boat into the water and, uh, Lucy, for the first and the last time, did what she had always wanted to do. And she took him into her arms and like just just pets him like a like a beautiful little rat uh, that he is. And he doesn't complain. He just uh, gets back into his boat, takes the paddle, gets it caught in the current, and just sails against the wave and gets taken up the slope and then goes over the other side and vanished and says, then it vanished. It says that moment, no one can truly claim to have seen Reba Cheat the Mouse. 
But my belief is that he came safe to Aslan's country and is alive there to this day. Thanks, author aside, letting us know that. Great assumption. Sure. I mean. Hope so. Since he's the author, you know, I would assume that he knows what's going on. But hey, remember when we shot our friend off the edge of the world? (laughs) Hey, let's just hope he's okay. Because we've always, always also assumed that the world was flat. You know how people do real well falling from high heights off the side of walls? Imagine that, except falling forever. Because, as we have mentioned, Narnia is flat. Except for these mountains that extend indefinitely? Well, yeah, that's not your story, though, Chase. That's further up and further in. We can't see anyone on the other side, so it's... Uh, so how are you to know? You know? Who can uh, who can say? But the children get out of the boat and they start walking south uh, alongside the wall of water to their left uh, and, uh, you know, just the open sea of lilies to their right uh, until they, you know, they see something quite peculiar. And uh, at the, you know, and far in front of them as they start seeing grass and they start seeing uh, like a field and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and there's a lamb chase not a lion but a lamb that says come and have breakfast with me in a sweet silky like voice and they you know the lamb is cooking fish and they realize that they actually were really hungry even though they haven't been hungry this whole time uh and they ate and it was the most delicious food they'd ever tasted and again i feel like that phrase is used like eight times in these books it's the last five meals they've had is the most delicious meal they've ever had like the feast at Ramandu's Island, uh, like the the feast in the in the Beaver's house several books ago. Like you can't always have the most delicious meal you've ever tasted. Honestly, kids have a low bar for good food. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, this is cooked by Jesus Lion Lamb. So Jesus Lion Lamb, is that hyphenated? Uh it's hyphenated and also uh slashes. <laughs> Depends on your context here. I think people should start putting slashes in their last name. Or just have slash as a last name, but like a literal like. Or just the person slash. (laughs) He should change his first name to just the symbol of a slash. I love it. I mean, it's more efficient, I think. But uh, so they, they start, you know, eating the food and they have this conversation with the lamb. And Lucy says, is this the way to Aslan's country? And he says, no, not for you. Uh, your your door to Aslan's country is from your world. Uh, and then they're like, whoa, there's one in our world? He's like, yeah, there's one in every world. Duh. Didn't you read Magician's Nephew? Uh, like, obviously. Also, doesn't make sense in the context of Magician's Nephew, because why would it be Aslan's country in their world? But it's, yeah, but I mean, they'd be, they just call it something different in each world. Which then gets into a question of like, you know, if life is existing on other planets and stuff, this is what Narnia would be, like another world or another realm, another universe, you know, take your pick. Uh, but like, would Jesus just be, you know, the same and or like he would just exist in each world kind of thing? That is the uh that is the plot of C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. There you go. Uh, But ours is the silent planet because the angel that's in charge of our planet is Satan. 
Ah, well, that'll do it. Yeah. But there's a supreme being that uh, is over all of them. And is that supreme being God? Uh, supreme being is Jesus, lion, lamb. Jesus, lion, lamb, supreme being, angel, God. Cool. Uh, but he says, there's a way into my into Aslan's country from everyone. And then he goes, and he waves a hand over his face. And he turns from a white lamb into a giant golden lion. And Chase, wouldn't you believe it? This lion is actually, or this lamb is actually a lion. And that lamb, lion, is Aslan. Crazy. But he's never also saw that his, coming. Never saw it coming. Allegory goes straight over my head. Uh, <laughs> you have to explain it to me. <laughs> is that even allegory anymore? At, at what point is it just telling you something? It, look, I think in general that uh, J.R. Tolkien was right not to uh, love straight allegory, but I don't know that you can call the Narnia books allegory because it's more just like what if i taught bible lessons in the middle of children's stories but bible lessons that didn't necessarily apply like this is the equivalent like we'll i'll talk about this in in allegory or like in my further up and further in but also like this whole section is just so out of place because the the scene of cooking breakfast on the beach is mirroring obviously the the story of Jesus calling Peter back to him after his resurrection, uh, and that's a reconciliation moment with forgiveness, and it's really like painful in some places, but it's also really sweet. This is not a reconciliation moment. This is just him cooking breakfast. Yeah, if you take a symbol out of its original context to use in another context you expect that symbol to maintain its meaning. Right. So if you put it into a place that doesn't make sense to use, it loses its meaning. Right. And even the lamb itself is, the lamb is meant to be the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. That's why Jesus as the lamb is significant. This isn't significant in this moment. This is just him being like, hey, Aslan's also a lamb. But... These both of these moments would have fit better in with like Edmund's betrayal or with Eustace. Like, if you want to put it in this book with Eustace, you know, having become a dragon and exploring the greed and sin that he carries, then like them, like Aslan having cooked, you know, fish for him and breakfast for him, and him having to, as we talked about off pod, like shed his scales, his outer garments before getting to Aslan and, uh, you know, Aslan going like, hey, do you, you know, do you love me? Or like having that moment with him of reconciliation, that would have been sweet. Or like the lamb, you know, maybe that's the, like the, the creature, like the things that the kids see upon Aslan dying on the stone table. And then it turns into Aslan kind of thing. Uh, but just shoehorning in the lion and the lamb and shoehorning in reconciliation on the beach, it doesn't make sense. Like that would just be like if as like if a whale like like swam up on shore and then spat like a like a human out of it and was like, "Hey, y'all heard of Aslan? 
That would be so funny if just in the middle of their breakfast, a whale came up to shore, opened its mouth, and just a dude with a briefcase walked out like he was on his way to work. Right. And just like walked up the wave wall and over, didn't acknowledge them. It's right. never That's the equivalent of this because you're like, wait, was that a no like was that a Jonah allegory? Maybe, but also it has story. nothing to do with this. So it's it's yeah, it's just confusing. But he doesn't really acknowledge any of this stuff. He just kind of like, he's like, oh crap, you know, it's been 16 chapters and I haven't really put in a lot of biblical allegory or metaphor in this. So I should just put some in here real quick. Uh, and he, so he's like, cool, I'm going to have a lamb cooking fish on the beach. Also the fish multiplied. There's 5,000 of them. Uh, <laughs> That's why it's the best meal they've ever eaten. It's just they're, food. they're stuffed. Uh, he says, did I mention that I'm the bread of life? And then he disappears. Uh, but like after this, his allegory actually becomes, you know, sweet because the, the like, Hey, there's, you know, doors in, into Aslan's country from every world. And then he says, like, Lucy is like, Hey, won't you tell us how to get into your country from our world? And he's like, I'm, I'm telling you all the time, but I'm not going to tell you how long or short it is or, you know, how to do that. You have to figure that out for, I am the great bridge builder. Uh, and, you know, I'm just here to, you know, again, shoehorned in, but whatever. Uh, also but, drives home what I've been saying for the last few chapters about Reepicheep and Aslan's country being a very direct death metaphor. Right. It, uh, you don't know when death is coming. Sometimes like it could be, it could be a long time away. It could be getting hit by a train. It could be anything, Chase. It just also makes me feel weird that we didn't investigate at all the fact that Reepicheep chose to enter Aslan's country out of his own Was this Enoch? Power. Is he just going with the Lord? Maybe. It, again, has had weird like undertones of like self-harm to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's but, but again, like I feel like we should be asking more questions about this when it's happening. Yeah, let's just uh let's call it what it is. Mental health care wasn't necessarily the, the focal point in the in the nineteen fifties. Yeah. Uh, Don't worry, bud, we'll help you get there. By literally just getting you to death. Yeah, we'll deliver you to death's doorstep and then you can take and, it from there. And we'll make no arguments once you go. It's uh it's a weird time. Look. It's now, weird when the you well start. organized mind, death is just but the next great adventure. Yeah, but that doesn't come into play for another 40 years, timeline wise. I mean, could be next week for some of our characters. Could be. Uh, could be. You know, you never know. Uh, but Aslan, or like Lucy asks Aslan, hey, so when is the. Uh, When's the next time we're coming back to Narnia? He's like, oh, did I forget to mention you're you're you and Edmund, you're too old. You're never coming back because uh, y'all are old and gray now. And they're like, we're 16. Uh, and he's like, oh, God, 16 year olds. They're the worst. They really are. Uh, and so they're like, yo. And he's like, yeah, you have to like go to your own world now. And she's like, it's not Narnia. It's you that we're going to miss. And this is a sweet moment. Right. And this is one that. You know, a lot of the like a lot of preachers are going to reference because, you know, they love them some C.S. Lewis. And he goes, you shall meet me again. And they're like, are you there, too? Are you in our world as well? And he's like, I, I am. 
but there I have another name, and you must learn to know me by that name. That was the very reason you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. Right, and that's, you know, he's basically summarizing the whole point of the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, is that, but he's summarizing why the books, the Chronicles of Narnia, were written. Right. Not why the internal mechanics of the story were. Correct. Yes. No, he's just explaining the books themselves. And that the whole point of them is so that his readers can be introduced to the Christ figure, Aslan, so that they can get to know Jesus in the real world. Because Jesus is the greater and better Aslan. Sure. I feel like we could have gotten that from the lion and the lamb and the sacrifice and all the other stuff. Are you telling me we've known this since book two? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is why people liked these books to start with. It feels uh, ham-fisted to just kind of write it down. But, you know, whatevs. Uh, Fine. But, you know, it's it's a sweet moment because it is that, saying like, hey, like, that's the whole point, right, of why I'm doing this is I want people to know Jesus, which is a sweet and beautiful sentiment. And then Lucy goes, well, what about Eustace? And Aslan's like, don't worry about him. It's not your story. He's got two more left. You're done. We got to do this bit in every book. He's like, don't, don't worry, worry about you'll, that. It's not your you'll, story. You'll get a cameo at the end of book seven, but that doesn't matter right now. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fine. It's okay. It's good. It's fine. Uh, but Chase, all of these things that are happening in this book, all of the stuff that they, you're like, man, there's a lot that we need to wrap up because they still need to get into their own world somehow. And they need to figure out like uh, what's going to happen with Caspian and the crew. And you know, what's well, like, what's life like going to be like with Eustace now that he's changed. Well, Chase, don't worry because we have one paragraph left in this book and we're going to explain all of it in one paragraph yeah so, the answer is it's fine uh because all of a sudden uh you know they they get you know taken uh from their from like the beach to their back to their own world uh like a curtain being torn they just rip through into their own world back into cambridge uh and uh with you know the feel of aslan's mane and a lion's kiss on their foreheads and poof they're gone and then all of a sudden hey two more things one caspian and all of his men went safely back to raymandu's island and that girl that he loved well he ended up marrying her she's going to be the the daughter or the the mother and grandmother and great-grandmother of uh great kings and queens of narnia so don't worry about that so all of his hormones were well-placed. It was great. And all of his crew, they made it back safely. And those lords that we spent the whole book going after, they woke up and it was fine. And they made it back to Narnia. Oh, and also Eustace, uh, you know, he was so different uh, when he was, like they say, you'd never know him for the same boy. And everyone except his aunt, uh, you know, they were like, oh man, he's great. And she was like, wow, now he sucks because of those Pevensey children. Yep. And that's the end. The end. We did it. We did it. Just like C.S. Lewis did. We made it. And it's so satisfying to be done with this book. Chase, would you like to dive further up and further in for us real fast? I would love to. My uh, further up and further in for this last chapter of this book is uh, about growing too old for the secret world. I'm too old for this, Chase. <laughs> I feel too old for this, for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is something that comes up pretty regularly in children's stories and fantasy. It's this idea that once you get to a certain age, you can no longer come to the secret world of magic and wonder. 
Uh, and the reasoning is always a little bit different. Sometimes it's because as you get older, you get distracted by other things and don't seek out the magic world anymore. Or sometimes getting older just means you have a harder time believing in things like magic. I'll, I'll cause, call that the Santa Claus effect. And like you see things said like, oh, well, adult minds have a harder time seeing the hidden magic stuff. Like it, the, there's pick your children's book for this. Uh, sometimes it's just because Peter Pan is a jerk and tells you you're not in this club anymore. Uh, here it's kind of unique. Aslan tells them they need to grow closer to their own world. And uh, it's it's still a symbolic idea within the metaphor of a children's book. If you spend all your time and energy and hopes and joys on the secret world, you are not spending your time being present and looking for the magic and hopes and joys of your own world. And so the metaphor here being that there's a maturity to learning to live where you are rather than somewhere imaginary. And then there's the whole, you got to find Aslan as Jesus and go through the right door and cross some water. The whole broader allegory thing that I'm sure Kel will talk about. But uh, yeah, at some point we all grow up and with growing up, we change and our thoughts and experiences have to grow and change with us. And so we need to ground ourselves in the places that we are without losing sight of the magic to be found there. And that's kind of this idea that is in a lot of children's books. Totally. Mine is going to kind of build off of this idea that Chase is going through, but it's the idea of what is the purpose of allegory? Because there's a famous interaction between C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, where J.R.R. Tolkien is saying you, you can't and shouldn't create, uh, you know, you shouldn't lean too heavy on allegory in your stories, right? Because then you're just you're you're not communicating anything original. You're you're gonna end up being ham-fisted, which as we've talked about is something that C.S. Lewis struggles with. But C.S. Lewis is also very unapologetic about wanting to be allegorical. Uh, and so what is the purpose? And the purpose of allegory is to communicate a truth about the real world through something fantastical, through something fictional, through something unreal. Uh, and so when, when we're coming into Narnia, the whole point of all of these books, and while we give it a hard time and while we give C.S. Lewis a hard time, the whole point of Narnia is to communicate truths about Jesus, to communicate truths about the gospel, which he does. And lives have been affected and changed by these books. Uh, and, you know, we can sit here and, and, and argue on the back end of going, but that doesn't make sense. How can you make an allegory about, you know, the, the breakfast on the beach when that's not that moment? How can you make a, like an allegory about you know, Saul and David with Caspian and Maraz. Uh, and, you know, how can you make all these things? Like, what's the point? And the point isn't necessarily that he is a, uh, a biblical scholar. He's not trying to communicate the exact truths of scripture. He's trying to give impressions and uh, he's trying to give understanding of, hey, this is what is in the Bible. So that when kids read the Bible on their own, when the kids uh, hear the stories of Jesus, that they're introduced to someone who's familiar and they go, wow, that sounds like something that I've read before, something that I've heard before. So that when they quote unquote, meet the Aslan of our world, who is Jesus, the, the Aslan of a different name, that they would love to get to know him, that he's a character that seems appealing. Now, the argument, you know, in that J.R.R. Tolkien would make is if you don't make the allegory correctly, 
does that make the character still appealing? You know, we talked about this with the horse and his boy, where Aslan in that story rips a girl's back to shreds uh, because of, you know, punitive justice. And is that the thing that uh, we want our Aslan to be known as? Debatable, right? And so this is why Jared... Not preferable. And so this is why J.R.R. Tolkien says, no, my books are not allegory. And while obviously you could read the Lord of the Rings and find the allegory and find the representations of, you know, Christianity in there, he is never trying to make a one-to-one, you know, storyline. He's not trying to tell you that Gandalf is Jesus because so could Frodo or so could Aragorn. You know, they all have these representations and so you're not meant to take any one character as Jesus. You're not meant to take any one moment as Bible, uh, as gospel truth, because he does not want to misrepresent the God that he, uh, you know, faithfully serves in the real world. And as well, in the real world, he's not bringing in and believing all the different mythologies that he's incorporating into his fictional story, which again, when you're C.S. Lewis, and you're incorporating the Greek gods into your allegory about Christianity, what are you communicating, right? It becomes confusing. When you when you try to make one-to-one comparisons, it becomes tough and confusing. But ultimately, the goal is that you can introduce someone to a real-world truth through a fictional world uh, communication. But Chase, just as I've reached the end of my further up and further in, we've reached the end of this book. Reaper Cheap has reached the end of his life. Edmund and Lucy have reached the end of their time in Narnia. And, and uh, we're and we're moving on to the silver chair, which is not in the silver sea, but it is somewhere. Probably. Probably. Yeah. But Chase, in the meantime, listeners, if you uh if you are so inclined, you can find our podcast anywhere you find podcasts. Please. Like, like, and uh, rate and subscribe, and uh, give us five star ratings. Uh, go follow us on Instagram at the Chronicles of Podcast. Find our podcast anywhere where podcasts are found Apple, Audible, Spotify, you name it. We're there. Uh, let us know how we're doing. We look forward to the next book because it can't be, you know, any more painful than going through the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, and we're excited to, you know, be a real depressed in the silver chair. Yeah, I remember really liking the silver chair. So I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, I mean, everyone likes to indulge their depression fantasies a little bit, so it's great. I'm a sad boy, if nothing else. (laughs) And on that note, everyone, we'll see you in the next book. Yeah. Sorry, I like, (laughs) there was randomly ants on my laptop uh, that I was like, "How, how are there ants on my laptop? Like. This isn't something that I like leave outside by any means, so that I like just leave food on.